This morning we're going to be starting a new series of sermons about the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. We need to remember that the fruit of the Spirit is more than just a list of virtues that we would like to see in other people. It's more than just a song that we learn in Sunday school to memorize certain characteristics like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 describes a person, and that person is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is the personification of the fruit of the Spirit. It's just like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, whenever Paul gives us that definition of love, and he gives us those, those, those fine points of what love is or what love should be. All those things are describing Jesus Christ. Jesus is the personification of love. Jesus is the personification of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if we are saved and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus lives in us. And if Jesus is living in us and through us, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then we should be producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's really important. That's more than just a list of good characteristics. Now, another thing that I would like for us to understand is there is a reason why the fruit of the Spirit is located, is nestled into Galatians chapter 5. And so this morning, what I'd like for us to do is I would like for us to kind of fly at about 30,000 feet, take a survey of Galatians. Next week, we're going to bring it down to about 20,000 feet and look at the fifth chapter of Galatians. And then from there, we will start walking the land as we go through each fruit of the Spirit. So before we get started in a survey of Galatians, let me just kind of give you some important background information. The book of Galatians is a very, very important, it's a very profound book. Every book of the Bible is profound. Every book of the Bible is important. And when we come to the New Testament, Galatians is an intrinsic book. It's so important that some scholars believe that the book of Galatians was the seed that sprouted the book of Romans. That's pretty important. Not only that, but inside of the book of Galatians, um, there is a lot of important teaching about Christian liberty, important teaching about our freedom in Jesus Christ. Uh, I read some scholars, and, and, and they said that, that the book of Galatians is the go-to teaching about Christian liberty. It is the Magna Carta of our freedom in Jesus Christ. And let me just stop, and let me, let me just ask you a question. Do, we, do you really know what Christian liberty is? Do you understand what freedom in Christ means? Well, Christian liberty flows out of our freedom in Jesus Christ. And our freedom in Jesus Christ can be explained in three points. Uh, Number one, we are saved uh, from the law as covenant. We're free from that. Number two, we are free from sin and we are free from Satan. Hallelujah, praise God. And number three, we are, we are free from the domination of other people's opinion and preferences on our conscience. Let me repeat that again. We are free from the domination of other people's opinions and preferences. As spiritual as they may sound, we are free from them on our consciences. When you go to the Gospels, you, you, you see that the Pharisees were masters at dominating the conscience of other people. They, they added rules and they added regulations to the law that was given on Mount Sinai. And as they added rules and regulations and more laws to the, to the, to the Torah, 
what happened was is they began to bind and restrict people. And they, and, and they just absolutely destroyed the spirit of worship. That is why Jesus told the woman at the well that we will not worship on that mountain, we will not worship on that mountain, but we will worship our God, the Lord God, in spirit and in truth. And all through the Gospels, our Lord confronted the Pharisees for their legalistic spirit. In his book, Grace Awakening, Chuck Swindoll, I think, sums up the spirit of of legalism. Please, it was written in 1990, but it's still relevant today. Grace Awakening is a great book. It's one of Chuck Swindoll's best books. I I really encourage you to read that book. But this is how Chuck Swindoll um, describes the spirit of legalism. He said, liberty is freedom from slavery or bondage. It is initially freedom from sin's power and guilt, freedom from God's wrath, freedom from satanic and demonic authority. And equally important, now listen, equally important, it is freedom from shame that could easily bind me, as well as freedom from the tyranny of others' opinions, others' obligation, and their expectation. And not only did Jesus confront the Pharisees about this, But in the letter to the province of Galatia, the Apostle Paul is confronting the same legalistic spirit that had burrowed its way in to the early church. Now, keep that in mind. And with this in mind, what I want to do is just take a quick survey through the book of Galatians. And and the reason why is I want to locate the fruit of the Spirit in its contextual meaning. In other words, why is the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. The letter to Galatia was written to a number of churches, not just one church. A lot of people think that it was written to the church of Galatia. It was written to a number of churches in the southern province of the province of of Galatia. And Paul was familiar with these churches because in Acts 13 and Acts 14, Paul had visited these churches in his first missionary journey. But what is striking about the book of Galatians is whenever you read the first chapter of Galatians, you notice that Paul is very passionate. Um, He's not passionate in a positive manner. Paul is extremely frustrated with the Galatian, with the churches of Galatia. And here's why. Here's the 411. I want you to listen very closely to this. Christianity began um, as a Messianic Jewish movement in Jerusalem. It is when Jews um, put their faith and trust in the crucified, resurrected Jesus, Yeshua, as the Messiah or the Chosen One of God. And this message was this message of the crucified and resurrected Jesus was not just a message for the Jews. It was a message for the entire world. And I praise God it was a message for the entire world. And so this message, this gospel began to spread beyond Jerusalem. And by the time Paul gets on the scene, there were probably more Gentile or non-Jewish Christians than there were Jewish Christians. And this in of itself sparked some controversy that you can read about in Acts chapter 15. So keep that in mind. And here's another thing to keep in mind. Historically, God's covenant people um, were focused in one ethnicity, and that was Israel, that were the Israelites. And the Israelites, or the Hebrews, or God's people, were set apart by the Torah, by the practicing and the adherence to the Torah or the law of God. 
Now here is where the friction comes in. Some Jewish Christians believed that for non-Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, to be really part of the family of God, they needed to adhere to the laws of the Torah. And these Jewish Christians that believed that, they put a lot of pressure on the Gentiles to be, Gentile males to be circumcised. They put a lot of pressure um, on their own Jewish Christian brothers and sisters not to fellowship with Gentile Christians unless they had been circumcised or unless they were following the Torah. And this produced a lot of hard feelings. This produced a lot of hard feelings on, on both sides. And some of these Jewish Christians came to Galatia and they began to preach two things. They began to teach two things. Number one, they began to undermine the apostolic authority of the Apostle Paul. They began to put doubts in the minds of Christians about the authority of Paul's apostleship. Why? It's because Paul was preaching a gospel of grace. The second thing that they were preaching was they were demanding, like I said, that all male Christians be circumcised and to follow the laws of the Torah in order to be truly in the family of God, in order to be truly righteous. And this caused a lot of problems. And these Jewish Christian teachers, these false teachers, began to pressure the early church. They pressured them so much that that some of the leaders in the early church began to succumb, began to to succumb to their pressure. The Apostle Peter, we'll, we'll talk about this in just a minute, the Apostle Peter gave in. Not only did the Apostle Peter give in, but Barnabas gave in to the pressure. Barnabas gave in to the pressure. And whenever Paul found out that these leaders and, and the Christians in the churches of Galatia were giving in to these false teachers, he was deeply grieved. And that is why he wrote the letter to the churches of Galatia. Now, the outline of the book of Galatians is really easy. There are three major movements in the outline of this letter. In chapters 1 through 2, chapters 1 and 2, Paul begins to defend his apostleship. Not only does he defend his apostleship, but we're going to find out in just a minute that he expresses his concern that the Galatians had left the true gospel of Jesus Christ and they were following false teaching. And then he explains to us in chapter 2 what the true gospel is. That's chapters 1 and 2. In chapters 3 and 4, the next section, Paul tells us that in God's good providence, through the preaching and the believing of the gospel, God creates a multi-ethnic, let me repeat that again, a multi-ethnic, aren't you glad of that? A multi-ethnic transformed family that follows Jesus Christ by faith. It's chapters 3 and 4. That's a good, those are good chapters. And then in chapters 5 and 6, He shows us the transformation that should be taking place in this new, transformed, regenerated, multi-ethnic family of Jesus Christ through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's take those one at a time. Chapters 1 and 2, Paul explains what the true gospel is. And he begins by expressing, as I stated, he begins his uh, epistle with his astonishment about how the Galatians could abandon, could you imagine, could abandon the true gospel of Christ and begin to follow this legalistic false teaching. I want us to look in chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to what Paul says. 
He says, I am astonished. I am bewildered that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now listen to what he says. But even if we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. That word anathema means to be reserved for condemnation. Do you think Paul's serious about this? Paul is very serious about this. And as we have said before, so now I am saying again, if anyone preaches is or preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you receive, let him be accursed. If you go over to chapter 3 and verse 1, it's, it's a really cool saying. I don't like that the Galatians had fallen in, uh, into the trap of this false gospel, but it's a powerful statement in chapter 3 and verse 1 where the Apostle Paul says, Oh, you foolish Galatians. I mean, Paul is serious. He's frustrated. He's passionate because he's defending the true gospel. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That word bewitched uh, can mean, um, uh, why have you fallen under the spell of these people who are teaching the false gospel? Uh, Why are you letting them damage you through this false gospel? And then after the Apostle Paul expresses his astonishment, um, he goes on to defend his message. This message of the gospel of grace, he defends his authority as an apostle. And he tells us and he teaches us um, that he was commissioned by the risen Christ to take the gospel to a non-Jewish world. And you can read about that commission in Acts chapter 9, where the Lord comes to Ananias and he explains what he is going to do with the apostle Paul. And then you go on down into chapter 1 of Galatians, and chapter 2 in Galatians, and after Paul is converted... Um, he got, after, three years after his conversion, he visits Jerusalem to introduce himself to the apostles. And then 14 years after his conversion, he goes back to Jerusalem once again to have fellowship with the apostles Peter and James and the other apostles. And at that time, in chapter 2 and verse 1, we learn that he tells Peter and James and the apostles that he is not requiring Gentile Christians to be circumcised. And you know what? At that time, the apostles were cool with that. He comes and he says, hey, listen, I am not going to require uh, the Gentiles to be circumcised. I'm not, I'm not going to get caught in that legalistic trap. That's not the true gospel. And basically the apostles say, amen, just remember the poor, you know, be on your way. But in chapter 2 and verse 11, something happens. Everything is cool up to that point. Everything, everything's all right. Everything's kosher. But in chapter 2 and verse 11, something happens. The Apostle Peter visits Antioch, and there he begins to fellowship with the Christians in the church of Antioch. And he fellowships, and he has table fellowship with non-Jewish believers. He was eating, he was fellowshipping in the freedom of Christ, but whenever these legalistic teachers came in, whenever they arrived on the scene, and they began to put pressure on, on these Christians, what happened? Peter began to social distance himself from these Gentile Christians, and he stopped eating. And you know what, you know what Paul did? Paul confronted him. Paul confronted his hypocrisy. He rebuked him for demanding that Gentile Christian males be circumcised. 
Now listen, folks, th- this, this is serious. Listen to, I mean, just think of the gravity of what Paul is doing here. Peter is a leader of the church of Jerusalem, one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He walked with Christ. He would later go on to be martyred for Christ. And he's influential. He's an influential man. But that didn't matter to Paul. It didn't matter to Paul. Do you know what mattered to Paul? What mattered to Paul was the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, young Timothy, preach the word. You know what Paul was telling him? Stay faithful to the preaching of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to learn that lesson today. There are a lot of influential people out there, a lot of influential teachers um, that are basically false prophet, prophets. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how influential people are. It doesn't matter how many friends or followers they have on Facebook. It doesn't matter how many likes they have on whatever social media has likes on it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many books they have written. It doesn't matter how big their churches are. It doesn't matter about the influence. What matters is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to anyone, everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. What mattered most to the Apostle Paul? It wasn't the influence of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so why did Paul confront Peter? It's because what Peter was doing and what others were doing was a betrayal of the gospel. You see, people are saved not by observing the Torah, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2.8. It is only in what Christ has done for us. I want you to look at chapter 2 and verse 16 of Galatians. Chapter 2 and verse 16 of Galatians. It says this. It says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet... We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what is torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. (coughs) Excuse me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, here it is, then Christ died for no purpose. Brothers and sisters, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, you know what happens to us? Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. We are given a place in God's family, and we began to be transformed, regenerated, regenerated by the grace of God. And whenever we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what is true of Jesus Christ becomes true of us. Um, We receive His perfect life. Aren't you glad of that? 
Aren't you glad of that over there, amen corner? I mean, we receive His perfect life. We receive the results of His perfect atoning sacrifice. We receive the, the risen life uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, want you, I, want to, I just want to go back and read real quick Galatians 2 and verses uh, 19 and following. And listen to what he says. He says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might what live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ does what? He lives in me. See that? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died in vain or for no purpose. And so the first thing we see is Paul explains to us what the true gospel is. It's not by following the Torah that we are saved, but it's by faith in Christ Jesus. Then Paul goes on to the next section in chapters 3 and 4, and he shows us that in God's good providence, His wise sovereignty, through the preaching of the gospel and the believing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, He creates a new, multi-ethnic, transformed family. And Paul does this in chapter 3 by, by reminding the Galatians that Abraham was justified by faith. Now, you can go to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and read that for yourself. Abraham was justified not by works of the Torah, because the Torah had not been given um, in the time of Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says that Abraham was justified by faith. And then you can go to the book of Romans in Romans chapter 4, and there Paul expands his teaching about Abraham being justified by faith. And by simple faith, all the nations would be blessed through Abraham and his offspring. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. Genesis chapter 22. But I want to read to you in Galatians chapter 7 and following. Chapter 7, I mean uh, chapter 3 and verse 7. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Remember we read that in Habakkuk chapter 2. The righteous or the just shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Praise God and hallelujah. And so God's purpose was to have this one large, transformed, multi-ethnic family who would relate to Him on the basis of what? Faith. Faith. Not works. Not on the basis of, of morality or, or, or good things we have done. Not on the basis of some r radical spirit or anything, but on the basis of faith. But then some might say, well, Aaron, if we relate to God by faith, 
then, then why did God give the Jews the Torah? Why did, did God give the Jews the law? Well, Paul anticipates this, this question in chapter 3 and verse 19. Paul says, why then the law? If this is true, then, then why the law? Well, God gave the, the Hebrews the law for two reasons. There's a negative reason, and then there is a positive reason. The negative reason why God gave uh, the Israelites the law um, is to expose Israel's sinful condition. You know, whenever God gave the Israelites the law, man, it was like, as one scholar said, like putting a magnifying glass on the rebellion uh, of the Israelites. And it exposes our sin too. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And even though the law was good, now listen closely, even though the law was good in that it reflects the holiness and the righteousness of God, when the law came, it exposed our sin, and it brought us under condemnation. And so the first reason why God gave the Israelites the law is negative. It exposed their sins. It exposes our sin. It exposes the sin of all humanity. The second reason is positive. It's positive. Um, the law was given, and so that it acted like a, a schoolmaster or a schoolteacher. Um, whenever Paul wrote this to the Galatians, they probably thought of, of Greek tutors who would escort their students to school and from school. They would make sure that they, they did their homework, did their studies. And so the law acted like a schoolmaster in that it, it kept Israel in line until the coming of the Messiah, the promised offspring of Abraham. I want you to go to chapter 3, and let's read something about that in verse number 22. It says, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive. Get that? We are held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith, would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian or our schoolmaster until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, praise God, faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster or the guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And here's what happened. Here's what happened. Jesus Christ came, and He fulfilled the law on Israel's behalf. Jesus became the faithful Israelite that would truly and perfectly love God. He would come and He would truly and He would perfectly love neighbor. And what He did was He took the sins of Israel. He took our sins and, and brought them into Himself. And, and, and there on the cross, he, he paid the penalty for my sins. I mean, He appeased the wrath of the Father. Now, right now, because of what Jesus Christ did, God's blessings can come to anyone of any nation, of any ethnicity, through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, that was a radical message that Paul was preaching. But praise God, it's true. Amen? Praise God, it's true. And I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture that I just read. Chapter 3, verse 28. Listen to what he says one more time. Let this fall fresh on your mind. There is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. And so in chapters 1 and 2, Paul explains what the true gospel is. In chapters 3 and 4, the apostle Paul teaches us that through God's good providence and His sovereignty, that the preaching of the gospel and faith in what Christ has done brings us into this newly transformed, multi-ethnic family of God. And then lastly this morning, chapters 5 and 6, we are transformed by the Spirit of God. If we are in this transformed family, then we, are, we should be being transformed by the Spirit of God. Now, let me just start this section by saying this. I don't want us to look at the law as our enemy. It's not. The law of the Torah is good and it is wise. Jesus Christ our Lord said, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. And Jesus summarized the Torah in two statements. In Matthew chapter 22, He said, the greatest law, the most important law, the supreme law, is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind. And He said the second one is kind of like that. The penultimate law is that we love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. And that was good. And that's awesome. But here's the problem. In order to stand righteous before God, we have to fulfill the law. We have to live up to the law. We have to do it perfectly. Um, but we can't do that. None of us can do that. There is no Israelite that did it. There is no Gentile that has done it. Or there are no Gentiles that are doing it. And so in order to stand righteous before God, we have to fulfill or live out the law perfectly. So if we can't do it, somebody has to do it for us. Ergo, enter Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. You know, that in and of itself um, ought to make us praise God and clap our hands. Amen? He fulfilled the law on our behalf. And because He fulfilled the law on our behalf, and if we trust Him by faith, then He lives in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And He is living in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and He is making us into new, transformed people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If we are in Christ... If we have put our faith in Christ, then we are new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, all is becoming new. And now we fulfill the law by striving to love God and to love our neighbor. We fulfill the law by striving to love God, and loving God is being obedient to God. I mean, I mean, folks, listen, we, we, we don't have a lawless faith. We love God by obeying God. We love God by loving our neighbor. And what Paul does in chapter 5, he begins to contrast, to deepen his, his argument, to push it forward. He begins to contrast the old life with the new life in Christ. Did you hear me? He begins to contrast the old life that we live before Christ and the new, Christ, and the new life that we have in Christ. And the habits of the old humanity are obvious. Uh, Dr. Austin just read those. Let's just read them again in chapter 5 and verse number 19. Let me get over to chapter 5 before I start. That would be nice. It says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh, or the old life, are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, uh, sorcery, enmity. You go, man, I've never been a sorcerer. Hey, but what about strife? What about jealousy? What about fits of anger? What about rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and and, and things like these? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things are not of God. They destroy spirit. They destroy the body. But what Jesus Christ did is He came and He put, and for those who put our, our faith in Jesus Christ, He put, Jesus Christ put this old humanity, this old nature to death on the cross. Now listen closely. So when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus becomes theirs. And Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ is lived out in us through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and that produces, it should produce, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, in verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Let me repeat that again. Jesus Christ on the cross put to death this old nature, this old humanity. So when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus becomes theirs through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And because the life of Jesus is in us, we should be producing, we should be seeing or striving to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And we become people of love. We become people of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Amen. And then we come to chapter 6. We need to remember that, and we'll talk about this later, that this, this fruit needs cultivation. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It requires intentional pruning and cultivation. But whenever we strive to live by the Spirit of God and not by the flesh, when we strive to do this, we will fulfill what Paul calls the Torah of the Messiah. Let's read in chapter 6, verses 1-10, through and I'll end. Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of the Messiah. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap the flesh, will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household 
of faith. This is the word of the Lord. I pray that he'll bless the reading of his word. Let me ask you something this morning as I close and as the band gets ready to come and close us in a benediction. Are you striving to produce the fruit of the Spirit? You know what? In times like this, man, life, man, we are just in the pressure cooker of life, aren't we? And, and what is that? What is that pressure? What is that smashing? Um, you know, uh, you know, the, the pressure that, that 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 persecution means to pressure to to step on to smash down. What is that producing in your life? Love, joy, peace, long suffering, or is it producing bitterness and anger and slander and envy? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit? to produce the life of Jesus Christ in us. Not just outwardly, not just the facade, but, but in, inwardly. We're allowing Him to do that. I pray as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, I pray that the Lord will reveal a lot to us. He's already revealed a lot to me in studying just the book of Galatians. And I pray that we will um, allow ourselves to be transformed by the Spirit of God as we walk in obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Jesus Christ, Your Son, our Lord, that fulfilled the requirements of the law on our behalf. We could not do it. We have fallen short, and every time we try, we fall short. We miss the mark. But thank You, Lord, that Jesus Christ lived the Torah perfectly for us. He paid the penalty of the price that we incurred for rebelling against You, for not being able to live up to the law. And we thank You for that sacrifice. And we thank You for the resurrection that Jesus Christ has risen us to new life. And Lord God, I pray that we will realize that if we put our faith and trust in Christ, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. Lord, we need to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to produce Christ-likeness in us. And Lord God, I pray as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, that we will learn. Lord, that we will be convicted. That we will strive more than ever to allow the Holy Spirit to produce the life of Jesus Christ in us. And so Lord God, I pray as we go through this series that You will make us more like Jesus. I pray that You will conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.